Welcome back to the Make Them Notice podcast, episode five. I'm your host, Daniel Mogg. We've been, we've been gone a little bit. We've been traveling, gone to London, China, Mexico, everywhere in between, but it's good to be back with the Make Them Notice podcast. Training camp's about to start. We've got a very special guest today, Ben Malcolmson with the Seattle Seahawks. Ben, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to be. Today's a very exciting day today because Ben has his first ever book released today. Ben, congratulations. Thank you. It's out right now today. Walk on. Yeah, walk on right here. Make sure you guys get your copies. It's an incredible story. I'm excited to dive into it today. If you could just just give our our listeners just a quick background on yourself, how you came to be with the the Seahawks and what your role is there. Yeah, so as as the book says, I was a walk on uh, for the USC Trojans there at USC and uh, was a wide receiver. When my time there was done, I ended up working for Coach Pete Carroll there at USC for three years. And then he took the job up with the Seahawks in 2010, asked me to come up with him. And here we are in our ninth season up here. And uh, my role, I'm a special assistant to uh, to coach. So kind of his right hand, uh, kind of a Swiss Army knife role, just kind of first whatever, whatever he Jack needs. of all trades, yeah. master of none. So <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's a blast. And it's been amazing to, to be with Coach for all these years, 12 years. And um, just an incredible person. So. Was was that your idea to send Kanye the Monarchs? <laughs> we a lot of these ideas are definitely uh, born out of um, kind of synergistic minds. So Coach and I definitely click on a lot of things, and just our creativity kind of blends together. Awesome. It's really fun. And yeah. we, we did a fun project recently. The, we did the Camp Monarch Monarch Monday. Oh man, it's a thing was, now. It is a thing. I got my own pair. I don't know. You do you do? have your pair yet? I know. I need to get. Yeah. I need to get a pair. I got my dad a pair for Father's Day. He you loved did? them. Yeah, it's great. So. <laughs> it's a great Father's Day gift. Yeah, he loved them, and he'll wear them. So it'd be great. That's awesome. So Coach literally does wear the Monarchs twenty four seven all the time. It's it's funny. People make fun of him when he's not wearing the Monarchs, and it's you, it right. should be the other way around because the Monarchs are pretty dorky, you right? Know, but um, he wears them, so like he like a boss. works out in them. And oh, he does. Every, he calls them their utility utility shoes. Utility shoes. So he can do everything in them. I mean, he wears them when he goes and does a speaking engagement. You know, it's like <laughs> he has to. Yeah, I mean, he's got to fit the part. That's so. his thing. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> All right, well, let's dive into to your book, Walk On. Uh, as you heard, Ben has an incredible story where he was a journalism student at the University of Southern California, and for a story. He had this amazing idea to go be a walk-on for the University of Southern California football team. I mean, that yeah. is well, it's crazy because I didn't. That wasn't really the intent I probably of the just story. No, 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 <laughs> you were good. But my intent was I just wanted to do a story on the walk-ons, uh-huh. and so I figured, why don't I give some attention to these walk-ons? This was the, the heyday of USC football. This right. is when they were number one three straight years in a row, and they had just come off that loss to Texas in the Rose Bowl, where they could have been three-time consecutive national champs. And so I was like, what? All these guys, they're winning Heisman trophies and getting all this attention, but these walk-ons, the end-of-the-bench guys that are scholarship guys, that are not scholarship guys, they have to pay their own way to be in college. Like They help fill out the team, too. Right. So I figured this would be a pretty cool story, shine some light on these guys. And I um, started interviewing some guys, and then I saw the, the alert for the walk-on tryouts. And it's just kind of an open casting call to any student at USC. It's a pretty cool opportunity. I don't think any every college does that. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll go interview those guys that are trying out, just kind of on a lark. And then as I was interviewing those guys, it hit me, well, why don't I go through the trial myself? It could be a total joke. I could make fun of myself so much because I was a newspaper reporter, and I hadn't played football since fifth grade, and I was 165 pounds. I mean, just everything <laughs> was stacked nothing. against yeah. me, you know, and this is the number one team in the country. So it was just going to be a total joke, you know, and I go out and uh, I talked to Coach ahead of time, Coach Carroll, and I was like, hey, Coach, can I try out for the football team for this article? 
And he laughs at me and he says, it's not going to be very interesting, but go for it. And so I go through the tryout and I get my butt kicked. And it, thankfully, it was just a two-hour tryout. And I survived. And I went home that night, started writing the story. And two days later, I get a phone call saying I made the team. Now, I, I had never even thought that was even a possibility. I mean, my only intent in being at the tryout was to write this article. It never even crossed my mind that I could make the team because there was just no dream for that at all. It just wasn't even possible. And there I was all of a sudden on the football team, the number one team in the country. It was just crazy. He did. I will say he, he didn't give himself a lot of credit in the tryout. You ran a, a 4 seven forty. Yeah, I something like that, yeah. I mean, <laughs> did you train at all for that? Did you? Uh, I, I did like one track track workout ahead of time. But <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, that's pretty good to come off the street and do a, I got a, some four, good, a 4 seven. I'll thank my parents on that one. Good genes. <laughs> <laughs> now, mind you, as he said, he had not played football since ten, you were 10 years old, right? Yeah, fifth grade. And yeah. then you go and walk on yeah. at the USC football team. Now, there is a hilarious story in the book about you getting pretty destroyed from Ray Malaluga, who was one of the top. <laughs> That's a kind four, way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> if not the top linebacker in the in the country. Yeah, he was a beast, and uh, I mean, he got he played what a ten year career in the NFL, and uh, I was on scout team kickoff return, and I'm on the front line, so I've got to sprint down, turn around, and try to block Ray Malaluga. <laughs> And I'm 100. At that point, I was probably 170 pounds, and Ray Maluga is probably 250, <laughs> and he's running a 4.5, if not a 4.4. And I mean, we just locked eyes, and it was like I was fresh meat, and he was just about to destroy me. The next thing I knew, I was standing on the sideline. So I don't know how I got from that moment to the sideline. Um, I definitely experienced some stars that time, and I'm just lucky I survived. Can you even like, ex- I you know, because I think most people always wonder, what does it feel like to get hit by an NFL? player i mean i clearly you don't remember but is i've heard i've heard car crash thrown out there can you even describe it yeah it's crazy because i i was looking forward to it in a sick sense of the word looking Uh forward to it i was looking forward to what is it going to feel like because you watch it on tv and you hear it yeah and it's they seem like vicious hits you know how do people even survive you know and i was looking forward okay what's it going to feel like you know how is what's it going to be like to experience that for the first time and i remember i get my first hit in that first practice and it was a helmet right in my chin my chin strap popped. I lost my chin strap, and I'm laying there on the ground. My face mask is into the dirt, and I wake up in a sense, and I'm like, I survived. I can do this. And it was kind of a moment of, like, victory, you know? It's like, I can do this. And there I am just making a total fool of myself, like, face down on the ground. But I survived, you know? This is triumph. So um, I, I think the sounds and you hear, like, just bodies colliding and just everything combined, it's almost hard to explain. Mm-hmm. And I definitely don't want to experience it again. <laughs> I'd much rather just watch. But uh, yeah, but it you can is say crazy. you did. You've, I, I, you, you can say that you've somehow I survived it. and experienced. Yeah. Well, I thought one of the interesting themes of the book, speak, speaking of taking on hits, was uh, was was courage. There was a lot of different moments where you had to overcome fear, doubt. You know, whether it was going to meet. Coach Carroll for the very first time going to the newspaper, uh, the Daily Trojan, with little to no experience ever writing before to just the whole trying out for the team. Like, what what advice do you have for for young kids out there? And, you, you know, I, I think for me and myself, I get trapped in this idea of like, well, I don't have enough experience. I don't know if I can do this. But to kids out there who doubt themselves because of the lack of experience, quote unquote, yeah. that they don't have. No, that's a great question. And that's something I think that we all wrestle with and all battle. It's There's never a time in your life when you've just totally overcome all fear. You know, I think w- if we're honest, there's always fear out there, always lurking around the corner. And, and really it's that courage to choose to act in spite of fear. And it's really like, 
I don't have to let fear run my life. I don't have to let fear dictate my decisions. And there's a lot of times when we we put too much value in fear. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you strike out and you, it's it's no big deal. You get another at bat, you know. And so I there's a lot of times when I kind of took those steps of faith, you know, and, and was looking back. It's like, wow, that was a courageous moment. But if if those didn't work out, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. You know, mm-hmm. it, you just you battle back and you come back the next day. And uh, it, whether it's overcoming injury, whether it's talking to someone that you need to talk to that's maybe really hard to get yourself to talk to that person or overcoming challenges, whatever it may be, it's are you going to let fear dictate your life or are you going to let courage and faith dictate your life? Mm, that's good. I've always found, too, that it's it's generally always scarier in your head of the, the build up to it to, to to that courageous moment, and then once you actually go for it, like oh, that wasn't so bad. Exactly. What, what was I so yeah, afraid? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wish we had that perspective when we're like building up to it. It's uh-huh. like I wish we could really fully grasp. And I think the more practice you get, the easier it gets in yeah. a sense. You yeah. Know? It's like oh, I remember that feeling at the end where it's like oh, it wasn't that bad, you know. Mm-hmm. And so if we can just do that more and more, it becomes second nature. And it's like oh, I can do that, you know. It's no did, big deal. Did you have a favorite of any of those moments that you're like oh, that that wasn't so bad or you know, I think about talking to the, the LA Times writer or any of those moments that yeah. were in the book that, that, do you have maybe a favorite from one of those? Yeah, well, I, I think the very first day I was assigned the football beat and I'm out at practice and I, I muscled up the courage to go talk to the LA Times beat writer who I'd been reading about and, and reading his articles for two years at that point. And I went and shook his hand and then he tells me, hey, you should go introduce yourself to Coach Carroll. And I was like, there's no way I'm doing that. It was hard enough <laughs> to introduce myself to, to Gary, this writer. Uh-huh. And somehow I've muscled up the courage to go introduce myself to Coach Carroll. And that was our, our first interaction. And here I am 12 years later because of that, you know, because that relationship started there. And then it led a couple years later to me having the courage to ask him to try out for the football team, you know, and just those little steps of courage add up over time. And here I am. I've been working for him for 12 years now because of that. It's just crazy how it all adds up. Yeah, I love in the the writing style, too, with the book, how you kind of tell your story, and then there's a a tidbit at the end, you know, a challenge, an encouragement. How is this crafting this book for you? How did that process come about? Yeah, my heart in writing this book was to encourage people, and specifically young people that are searching for their purpose, you know, searching for their way, their, their way in life and trying to find out what they're good at and what they want to do in life. And I think this book speaks to generations all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, it speaks to elderly people, middle-aged people, young people. Um, my heart in writing the book was I really want to encourage young people. And I really want to encourage people as they're searching for um, how can I overcome my challenges? How can I overcome my fears? Um, what is my purpose, you know, and these little things at the end of each chapter, there's 19 chapters and we have a little kind of challenge, a little question at the end of each chapter. It's really to get us thinking, okay, where, where can I take that next step, you know, and where can I get a little bit better and, and find this purpose that I'm searching for. Now in the writing of the book, what, what's that like? Cause I've heard writing a book can be a bear. You've got the, the cursor <laughs> just sitting there <laughs> blinking at you. What was the, the writing process like for you? Well, I'm, I'm so fortunate. I had a, a lady help me in the collaboration of it and her name is Patty McCord and mm-hmm. she was kind of a ghostwriter slash collaborator slash just do it all. She mm-hmm. was amazing. And just I, the book wouldn't happen without Patty and so thankful to have her support and her work in it. Um, but it is really hard. And I mean, we started two and a half years ago and here we are two and a half years later, almost to the day 
that wow. uh, we have a book in hand, you know, and it's out released right now. And it's a long, grueling process. And there's a lot of days where you, you doubt, you doubt if it's even going to happen. You, you face a lot of setbacks and defeats, um, but you just keep battling and keep remaining faithful. And um, it's amazing to see what's happened. That's really cool. Now, an- another thing you talk about in the book, uh, which you're pretty open about, was your, your family life and how you struggle with, you know, perfectionism because your your family wasn't quote-unquote perfect. Um, I know there's a lot of kids out there who maybe limit themselves to think they can't, you know, be where you're at or be where other people are at who are successful because their family life wasn't perfect. What what advice do you have for those kids out there? Yeah, well, I think it's a myth that there are perfect families out there. I think yeah, I think we've all, <laughs> we, no matter where you come from, you've had challenges growing up in your families and whether it's relationships or hardships outside, whatever it may be, there's there's things in our families that um, we don't come from perfect families, just the, the nature of the earth that we live on. And um, I just, I think of how those challenges that you face as a kid help produce who you are later on in life. And if you can overcome those challenges as a kid, um, whatever they may be, you're setting yourself up for tremendous success down the road. And really it's it's never about perfection because um, I think that can be so paralyzing sometimes is if mm-hmm. we're constantly seeking perfection, whether it's in our families or whether it's in our sports or school, whatever it may be, I think that's what ends up paralyzing us and kind of handcuffing us and really set, hold us back a little bit. But when we're pursuing excellence and we're pursuing progress, I think you just find this fullness about life and this richness about life that you can't really find if you're just only searching for perfection. Hmm. Hmm. That's really good. On um, now, let's go to the tryout itself. Yeah. You've got a great story about once the coaches figured out that <laughs> you were you were uh, writing the article. They called you newspaper. Was it newspaper guy? Newspaper guy. Newspaper yeah. guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's funny too because I mean Ken Norton, he's our defensive coordinator right. here on the yeah. Seahawks. Yeah. He was an assistant coach there on the on the USC team, and he was just ribbing me so hard and just dri- driving me into the ground with his verbal assault. <laughs> Which, I mean, if you've been around Ken Norton at all, just being at a practice or maybe... Does he still tape his fingers? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, he's hardcore. <laughs> yeah. And so if you ever get a chance to watch Ken Norton mic'd up, I think you should tune in on that because <laughs> that's just amazing. I can't wait for his stuff this fall. Yeah. Um, but he he was just giving me the hardest time. And, and all those assistants were... Coach was pretty nice. Coach Carroll was pretty nice about it because he was the one that gave me the permission to do it. But everyone else, I mean, Steve Sarkeesian was out there. Lane Kiffin was out there. Mm-hmm. Um, Ken Norton. You know, all these guys, it's just like, oh, my goodness. I was so embarrassed and just red in the face. Like <laughs> I was hoping they wouldn't find me out. Yeah. Did Now, once you actually made the team, though, did that continue or were you more as kind of seen as part of the team yeah once I made the team uh some of the players were like wait you were just covering us for the Daily Trojan what the heck and now you're on the team but really quickly I just became one of the guys and the guys were were incredible and uh, Coach Carroll does such an amazing job of of leading a team and Mm -hmm. really producing a family environment and uh, I was so fortunate to be a part of that almost from the day I walked in Um, I was no longer the newspaper guy I was just another walk-on you know just another guy on the team you you mentioned Coach Carroll and the environment he creates. I wanted to, that was one of the questions I had as well. Is like, what is that like? If you could paint a picture for someone, you know, we all see it from the outside and it looks amazing. But what what's that environment that he creates, and why is it so successful? Yeah, he does such an amazing job of creating this family environment and a place where people belong. You know, no matter where you come from, no matter what your background is, no matter what your personality is, whether you're really outgoing or really quiet, 
you belong there. And we've seen that over the years here in Seattle with the Seahawks. I mean, we can think of so many unique characters yeah, a lot on of the characters. team. You know? <laughs> yeah. But it's so cool because they all belong and mm-hmm. they all feel like they're a part of it. And coach allows them to be themselves. You know, there's it's all over the lot. And that's the coolest thing about, about him is that people feel accepted there. They feel like they belong and they feel like they're a part of something really special. And through that, it leads to, um, it's just a lot of fun because when you're safe, when you feel like you belong somewhere, you can let loose a little bit and have more fun and practices are more fun and meetings are more fun. And coach just does an amazing job with that. Yeah, it's been interesting to see him really kind of change the NFL and that sense of practice with the music blasting. I know different teams I've covered in the past, like I know the Seahawks have done it for years, but you're starting to see more and more teams kind of adapt that. Totally. Coach has had an amazing just impact on the game in so many ways that aren't really out there. I mean, like that, like turning practice into something that's fun and the music. And I mean, the way that he's taught tackling for years and Mm -hmm. years. And now, I mean, the rules are changing and it doesn't really even affect us because Mm -hmm. we have, coach has been training these players to tackle in, in the right and healthy way for so long, for years and years. And uh, there's just so many kind of behind-the-scenes ways that coaches have his fingerprints on the game of football. And uh, it's just cool. I mean, we're right in the midst of it, so it's hard to have the perspective yeah. of what's going on. But right. maybe 10 years from now, we'll be able to look back and be like, wow, that was a really special time. Yeah, absolutely. You have an amazing story from Coach right there in Chapter 1 talking about the Super Bowl 49 loss, which I, w- I was there for that game. And so reading, reading through that, yeah. <laughs> all the emotions oh, man. came back. He talked about, would you see Muhammad Ali punching you in the stomach? Oh, yeah. I felt, I felt the, <laughs> I think everyone felt it. That was there. That was watching on TV. Any, anyone that had any connection to the Seahawks at all, like whether it was a 12 or whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think anytime we talk about that, it hurts. It still, you know? it does. It's it still even reading it off the page. It's like, Oh, it's still yeah, <laughs> it's got I good mean, knots in my stomach a little I bit. I can't imagine a worse way to lose. I yeah. mean, it was just, it was so hard, but the coolest thing about it was, I just remember, I mean, that play happened with what, 10 seconds left in the game. You know, mm-hmm. there was one play, one kneel down after that. Um, and we, so the game ends and then we walk to the locker room. So there's probably about three or four minutes in there from, the play until we're in the locker room Mm -hmm. and it's like what the heck is coach gonna say you know like how could he possibly give a post-game speech after that and he's in there and we he walks right into the middle locker room and he says if you're gonna point any fingers you point them at me this is all my fault and it was just an incredible example of leadership i was just blown away and you just felt the the energy just the negativity just kind of release Mm -hmm. in that moment because Everyone was looking for someone to blame. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone could have pointed fingers in a million directions, but Coach took all the blame, and he kind of laid on the grenade, and it was a moment where healing could start, you mm-hmm. know, and, and the grieving process could start. And instead of him just kind of pointing fingers himself or just saying, oh, we'll get him next year, you mm-hmm. know, just some cliche, but he took accountability. You know, he took ownership of it, and that's the way he leads a team, and especially in that moment, um, I'm just – continually amazed with yeah so obviously accountability responsibility is something you've learned from him over the years do you have any other couple leadership lessons you've learned from coach that you could share with yeah the listeners? what i love what, what he does um one of the coolest things about him is that he's so consistent that the person that you get um on whatever day it is you're gonna get the same coach carol the next day and he's so consistently upbeat he's so consistently positive He's so consistently full of energy and enthusiasm. Um, it's does, he doesn't have these ups and downs, whether we win a game, whether we lose a game, um, whether, we, whether we win a Super Bowl, lose a Super Bowl. He's the same person every time. And to have that kind of rock steadiness, you know, mm. just so solid, 
and he's so consistent. And he knows exactly who he is, and to be able to live that way every day, it just allows for a lot of trust. It, allow, it allows for just a lot of um, just ability to connect with him. He's just an incredible, con- con- incredibly consistent person, and I just really appreciate that. And then something else that he he does an incredible job of is the way he's created a culture at C- at Seattle. Mm-hmm. You know, with the Seahawks here and. And people talk about it all the time, like there's something different about the Seahawks. And, I mean, those of you that have been in the building and been at practice and for all the 12s that are going to be out at training camp in a couple of weeks, I mean, you you feel it. You know, you feel it when you're around the team. There's something different. There's mm-hmm. this culture out there. And Coach has done such an amazing job of, of creating this culture year in and year out, where it's not just like kind of a flash in a pan, like, oh, we just happened to land on something fun, but it's right. year, here we are year nine. You know, it's crazy, like – well, this is Russell's seventh year up here. Yeah, you know, it's just crazy. crazy. And it's year in, year out, and we get the same Seahawks every year. And sure, the wins and losses change by a little bit each year, but that's the nature of, of the NFL. You know, mm-hmm. there's a coin flip here and there that'll yep. change the game, and, yeah. and you'll be 13 wins one year and yeah. 10 wins the next. You know? <laughs> yeah. and, and so we're, um, we're just, it's just amazing to be a part of that culture and to see him continually reproduce that year in, year out and get a little bit better every year. And you've been with Coach Carroll now for a long time, both at USC and Seattle something I've always wondered and I'm sure other fans have wondered as well like the difference between an NFL locker room and a college locker room where you know college no one's paid da 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 the whole the NFL yeah. it's, it's your job what is there any like major differences that you see is it the same is it what, what I really enjoy about the NFL is that you have so much more time and mm. so you don't have to worry about classes and, right. and all that and so you have a lot more time as a team and you get to be a lot tighter and you get to kind of learn each other better and there's more time to devote to studying and, and watching film and all that. And um, that just allows for a little more breathing room and there's a little more kind of um, togetherness in a sense, you know. And and really, I mean, for the most part, most of the NFL players are 21, 22, 23, 24, you know. They're mm-hmm. still young. Still, right. And college players are 18 to 21. So there's not that much of a difference in terms of age and and the energy and the excitement that a, that a young person brings, you know, and um, there's a handful of players that are over 25, you know, and then mm-hmm. even fewer that are over 30, you know, just the way the NFL works. And um, so in terms of that, it's not like you're dealing with like little kids in college and then grown adults in, in the NFL. It's, right. it's, they're all about the same generation, you know, mm-hmm. they've all grown up on the same music and um, same everything, you know, and just a little bit older and they just happen to have some money now and some free time, you know, and, um, as long as you're, you're creating a team where, um, you can have conversations and you can be together and, and you create this amazing support system around them. I think just some really special things happen. Yeah. And you, you know, I think something that, that you talk about a lot in the book is as well, is like having this worldly success, but then not drifting too far from your faith. And it's always a, a delicate balance, right? Between just being one of the guys in the locker room, but also having something that, you stand for and live by as well how, how have you found that balance in your in your story yeah well I I remember when we got to Seattle I wanted to win a Super Bowl because that's what every NFL team wants to do right you know and I, we come up and we're all coach Carroll his goal every year is to own the NFC West it's never to win the Super Bowl because there's a lot of factors that you can't control in there about winning the Super Bowl I mean you might lose the tiebreaker for home field advantage right. or right. the Super Bowl might be in a, a dome and you're playing a dome team you know Mm -hmm. something like Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. but if you own the nfc west which we can do then we're guaranteed a home playoff game and then we go from there you know and um and so i just remember getting up and i was like man i want to win the super bowl though you know that'd be so cool and we finally get to the super bowl 
and we win the Super Bowl in New York, and obviously that game we'll we'll cherish forever. You know, forty-three to eight, beating the best offense in in football, and just the way our offense played that game, our defense, our special teams—it was just—it was almost the perfect game. It really was. Yeah, <laughs> it was amazing. It was so cool, and even the fans contributed two points mm-hmm. with all their noise. The, yeah, the first play of the game. Yeah, you know, it was just—it was literally the perfect game. And um, I just remember getting home after that game, and we're coming off. I mean, Macklemore's performing at the post-game party, and. We're flying back, and we had that big parade. The parade was insane. So yeah. crazy. I mean, there's two million people on Fourth Street in Seattle. Yeah. You know, just crazy. And and then it just finally settles in. It's like, okay, that was really fun, but it didn't satisfy like mm-hmm. I thought it was going to satisfy. Yeah. You know, and it didn't fulfill. And I think every single person that was associated with the team kind of felt that there was kind of a little hole. I thought it was going to feel a little better. And mm-hmm. I remember the the staff was talking about that after. Like a bunch of us on the staff were like, man, I thought it was going to feel a little better. You know, I thought it was going to feel a little more fulfilling, but that's that just shows that the things of this world don't satisfy. You mm-hmm. know, we need something deeper, we need something greater, and uh, it's really there's there's more out there than just winning Super Bowls. That's awesome. Are you sure though? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is really fun. And, uh, we're going to go out and try to win one here. And first of all, we got to own the NFC West. Don't that's let right. Coach Carroll here otherwise. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it is, it's really fun, but there is, there are deeper things out there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, I think what's exciting about your book. Well, speaking of Super Bowls, before, before you get out of here, we do got to talk a little bit the Seahawks football, you yeah. know, training camp's about to start, oh, the, yeah. the town, the town is excited. I, I'm excited because I feel like everyone's discounting the Seahawks and I feel like watching them for years, the Seahawks play better when there's a little chip, when there's oh, a yeah. little edge. I love it. I love that we're kind of discounted and everyone's saying we're going to go what, 8 and 8 or 6 and 10 or finish last in the division. I think that's exactly where we shine. I mean, remember Russell's rookie year, Russell mm-hmm. and Bobby there as rookies. And F grade Drake, yeah, uh, draft class. F, yeah. F draft class, and they thought we were just horrible. And then we go on this incredible run and just, I mean, so close to just taking over the NFL that year, you know? And, and then even the next year when we're going to the Super Bowl that year, I mean, people, oh, the Broncos are going to destroy the Seahawks, you know, and every step along the way, oh, the Niners are better than the Seahawks, you mm-hmm. know. That's when we really shine. And, and I think that's a product of, of people like Coach Carroll, who's um, kind of had a chip on his shoulder from day one, wishing he could get a, he could have gotten a chance to play in the NFL, you mm-hmm. know, and he's undersized mm-hmm. defensive back. <laughs> and then, I mean, you have people like Doug Baldwin, who yep. didn't get drafted. You have people like Russell who's been told he's too short for all his career, and here he is Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl, you know, just an amazing quarterback. You have people like Bobby Wagner, who should have got drafted way higher, mm-hmm. you know, and, and should get way more respect. He should be Defensive Player of the Year every year. Yeah. You know, he's unbelievable. Like, yep. People like K.J. Wright. Most people don't even know who K.J. Wright is. Mm-hmm. And here he is, one of the anchors of the defense, just year after year. And there's all these people on the team that have those chips, you know, a lot of our offensive linemen, our defensive linemen, you know, just all over the team. And I think that's when we thrive because we need that kind of little extra extra motivation. Because when when things are handed to us and everyone thinks we're going to be great, it's it's real easy to buy into to get, it. Yeah, get complacent. Yeah, a little it's bit. real easy to get comfortable. It's just human nature, you know. And we can fight against that as much as we as we can, but still, human nature takes over sometimes. And you start to read the articles a lot, and mm-hmm. you start to watch Sports Center too much. Yeah, and you start to believe it. Um, but really, the success is going to happen when we have that chip on our shoulder and we got to fight for it. You, now you obviously have a, a super inspiring story. What about uh, Shaquem Griffin? What's it been like? His story I thought was just incredible, oh, and then man. to be reunited with his brother, and then you know what's it been like seeing him in the building? Yeah, just everything about Shaquem and Shaquille, his brother, and 
I mean, just that whole story of the fact that he's even that he could even play college football, you know, and there he is, becomes MVP of his bowl game, you know, just like all these factors, and then to be drafted, not just by any team, but by the team that his brother's on, you know, mm-hmm. and by a team that that loves players with unique qualities and mm-hmm. unique gifts. And Shaquem can run a super fast forty yard dash. He's very strong. He's got an incredible heart. And really, like a lot of the players on the team, he's got an amazing amount of grit. You know, he can overcome his challenges. He's got passion. He's got resilience. Um, it's going to be so special to see what he does this fall, wh- whatever role he ends up playing. Yeah. To see Griffin and Griffin on the field at the same it's time. A, it's, it's a cool story. It's really special. Yeah, it's a really special story. Now, another, I think, inspiring story as well, regardless of your opinion on him, but you being a walk-on, we just had Baker Mayfield, a two-time walk-on, now the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Could you, you know, take everything aside? Like, what is what is that like as a former walk-on seeing that happen? Because that, to me, is like an ultimate underdog That's amazing. Story. I mean, to be a walk-on and get drafted in the NFL is crazy enough. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, Clay Matthews, um, there's just a handful of guys that were walk-ons that end up getting drafted, you know. And, and then Baker Mayfield not only becomes a walk-on once and then leaves and goes as a walk-on somewhere else, and then he becomes the number one pick. That is just so mind-blowing. And really it speaks to the type of player that he is, the, the type of makeup that he has. And um, it's going to be really exciting to see because he, I mean, he's overcome so much already. So yeah. who says he can't overcome more going forward? Absolutely. Because I would the, based on your book, it seems like the odds are pretty stacked against you as a, as a walk-on. Yeah, I mean, they're stacked against you to just see a play in a game, you know, when right. you're down by, when you're up by 40 points, you know. Yeah. It's, it's very unlikely you're even going to get in a game, and then let alone to make an impact. And, I mean, it's just surviving the practice week is hard enough as a walk-on because you're undersized and everything's going against you. But, um, I mean, just seeing people rise up from that is really, really cool. You did get a play in one play. Yeah, and I didn't catch the winning touchdown. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't do anything. It was the quarterback kneel, and it was the last home game of the year against Notre Dame. And uh, I didn't do anything. I just stood there. And I actually, it's funny, I lined up wrong on the play. <laughs> and uh, I got harassed for that one. So, <laughs> But I was fascinated by that you're playing Notre Dame. Like, you're almost like the real-life Rudy. And you're <laughs> playing against, that was, like, crazy ironic to me. It's pretty funny. I know it is total irony right there, yeah. Yeah, that was, <laughs> and then you got your friends chanting to, to yeah. put you in the game. I was like, yeah, there was a whole campaign. Real-life Rudy. In. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it was pretty cool. It was just cool to be a part of something bigger than myself and uh, to see all the people rally behind and um, they saw themselves in me because I was just an average student I was undersized I didn't belong on that football team at all Um, so it was just cool to see um, everyone get behind and and just the excitement the energy I mean people had signs and they were chanting during the games and had t-shirts and college game day and they have signs up behind Kirk Herbstreet you know it's just it's crazy that's crazy do you still have a t-shirt I don't. I never. I never got one. So I mean, Maybe I was, we can look on eBay or something. I know. I'll bet they're going for a lot of money now. Maybe like three dollars or something there like that. So. <laughs> well, Ben, thank you so much for stopping by. You guys, make sure you get your copy of Walk On, written by Ben Malcolm's here, this handsome fellow. <laughs> We're actually going to be doing a giveaway: ten free copies to so the first ten people that message us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at West East Empire. We would love to get you to read this book because it's super inspiring and if you're a Seahawks fan there's a little tidbit of nuggets uh, behind the scenes story so yeah, you'll like it. it's so. all uh, everything in between so Ben congratulations on your book Thank dropping you. today and uh, let's go Hawks go Hawks let's have a great year let's thanks so much it. yeah man thanks for coming in appreciate you